Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, the show for business owners looking to acquire, scale, or exit a business. Before we get on with today's program, we just wanted to let you know that the Buy, Grow, Sell team have been working really hard to come up with more resources that add more value to your journey. This includes a range of webinars, tools, and other events, including an online summit where we get some of the industry's leading experts to come and share their insights. If you'd like to know more, go to buygrowsell.com forward slash events. Enjoy the show. My next guest is what I would call the classic Southern gentleman. His name's Aaron Walker or Big A to his friends, and he hails from Nashville, Tennessee. Aaron's story is an interesting one because while he got some help to buy into his first business, he did successfully grow it and was ultimately approached by a Fortune 500 company to sell. Now, interestingly, like a lot of business owners, his business actually wasn't on the market, but the buyers were tenacious and they kept pushing him and pushing him and eventually made an offer that he couldn't refuse, which happened to be a, a fairly significant seven-figure sum. Now, what was really interesting with Aaron is that he sold his company at the ripe old age of 27 for a, for a, a sum of money that fundamentally meant he did not need to work again for the rest of his life. But what is really interesting was how Aaron talks about the phase after selling. He talks about how purpose is so important in terms of driving your sense of worth and really fundamentally your mental health. You know, this period for Aaron was actually quite depressing and isolating and really it, it's led to a lot of introspection about life and, and how business owners should really be preparing for their ultimate exit. And keeping in mind here, folks, that we all exit our business one day, whether we like it or not. Now, what is great is that Aaron actually shares three tools that he recommends every business owner use to help them prepare for that period in their life so that they can close the chapter on their business and ultimately go on and lead a fulfilling life and one that's enjoyable and uh, with a deep sense of purpose. You know, I really enjoyed this chat. I hope you get as many insights out of it as I did. This is Aaron Walker. Hi, Aaron. Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Hey, Simon. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure indeed. Aaron, I know um, you know we've had the benefit of having a little chat offline, so I know we're going to talk about um, your business life, and and you know I know that you did a, a, a transaction there, having sold a number of businesses to to Cash America, um, and of course I'm, I'm really keen to unpack this whole sort of side of things of what you did when you when you left and how you, how you've approached business since, but um, maybe you could kick off for us and just give us a little bit of your background and how those businesses got started and. You know, I guess the, the prequel to the transaction. There you go. Simon, people are going to have fun with this interview because I'm pretty Southern and I've got that Southern drawl. You're from Australia. And uh, so they're going to have fun with these accents. I wonder what I would <laughs> sound like if I lived in Australia, you know. But hey, listen, <laughs> I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Been here be 62 years in March. Love it. We're three generations deep here. Uh, grew up uh, like a like a lot of folks, you know, on uh, maybe the right side of the track with no money. But my dad wasn't a very good businessman, and I wanted a little bit better for myself, and so I really put some uh, extra effort into the business side. When I was eighteen, I opened my first business, and uh, it was a pawn shop. 
and uh, met a couple of guys with a lot of money. I didn't have any, so I needed some funding. And so we went into a three-way partnership. A year later, my wife graduated from high school. Two weeks after she graduated, we got married and I sat her down at our kitchen table and I said, listen, Robin, we both come from very poor families. We may never get this opportunity again. So what we're going to do is delay gratification. We're going to live below our means and we're going to pay every dollar back on this $150,000 loan that they made me, a 10-year loan, and we paid it off in 36 months. And so I'm 21 years old. I got a paid for pawn shop. And I said, you know, I think I can do it again. And, and I did numbers of times after that until one day cash America came to town there in Fort Worth, Texas. And they said, we want to relocate uh, one, some of our shops and we want to be here in Nashville. And they said, we've got about 300 shops presently and uh, we'd like to buy your, your stores. And I said, "Uh, they're not for sale. And, uh, he said, everything's for sale, young man. And I said, well, these stores are not for sale. And I said, uh, it was my first rodeo, right? So I didn't know. And so they left and about a month later, Simon, they came back and they said, we really are going to be here. And just to be honest with you, not to throw our weight around, but we're pretty heavy hitters. We've got deep pockets. We're going to be here and it might be advantageous for you to sell to us because we're coming to Nashville. And I, again, said, I'm not for sale. And they left. And about three months, Simon, they came back and they said, we're going to try this once more. And uh, he said, hypothetically, if you were going to sell, what would you sell for? And I said, I'm 27 years old. What would I do? He said, we don't care what you do. He said, "Uh, we want to buy your stores. And so uh, I just threw a number out. I just said, hey, you know, if I was going to sell, this is what I would sell for. And he said, we'll take it. Can I ask um, what was the what was the process you went through mentally there to come up with a number? Was there some kind of yeah? I just pulled a number there? out of the air. I thought this sounds pretty good at twenty seven. When you're broke at eighteen, this number sounds pretty good at twenty seven. Yeah. Can I ask? Was it was it six seven figures? What 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 kind of? It was it was north seven figures. Yeah. And so I'm twenty seven. This is you know back in the eighties. You know, a long time yeah. ago. You weren't even born then, probably. But <laughs> uh, so and so I and I can't divulge because it was a Fortune five hundred and because I had partners. And so anyway, I go home and Robin's at home, and I said, Robin, these guys are back again. And she said, What did you tell them? And I said, Well, I pulled a number out of the air, and they took it. And here's the kicker though, Simon, we owned the properties that we were in. We had just built a new 10,000 square foot store. I had bought a new building and uh, we were starting to renovate it. And uh, I said, man, I just built this new building and I just bought this new building across town. And he said, no, that's not for the property. That's for the business. And see, I had thought property and all, and they meant the business. I said, you're going to pay me that? for the business and I keep the property. Yep. He said, yeah. So I called my banker and I said, Johnny Claude, I said, listen, we got to talk. And so he came to my office and he knew me, knew my whole story. And everybody calls me big A Simon. And he said, big A, he said, I don't think you have a choice. I said, what do you mean? He said, you were broke 10 years ago when you were a kid, just starting this business. This is going to give you an opportunity. And I don't think you have a choice. You know, what's been really fun here. I am be 62. They're still my tenant. I still own the building. They're still my tenant. So wow. that they've been in there since 1987. 
<laughs> and wow. they, they're Got still, it. they just re up for five more years. And so they just continue to, so it's been a really sweet deal. And then we went, we owned a number of other businesses over the course of time. And then it was about, uh, I don't know, probably three years later, I went back and bought the pawn shop I started with when I was a kid, formed a partnership. We quadrupled that business in the next 10 years. And then I met a guy you may be familiar with, you may not, being there in Australia. His name's Dave Ramsey. He was starting a radio show. He's a finance guy and uh, sponsored the show for 21 years and uh, changed the course of the trajectory of our business, absolutely changed everything. And then uh, I'm telling the whole story here, and then we'll break well, it down. Can I can I can I take you back a step before we get there? Back, because um, it's your I'm, show. I'm, you can do whatever you want. Take me back. <laughs> oh well, you took on. It's. Uh, I, I'm curious. You know, you, you're 27 years old. You're presented with this opportunity, and it sounds it sounds like a, even at that level that you're sold out at would be an amazing opportunity even today after all the inflation and whatever. But what? What what happened afterwards? What what did you do? I mean, did yeah, it was not a pretty picture. Yeah, it was not a good thing. I didn't think through it. Well, can we talk? Can we talk through the transaction a little bit, just just to give a sense of, because it sounds like they've knocked on the door. You've thrown out this number. They've said sure, and and it sounds like that that part of it started moving fairly quickly. But did you did you hire a lawyer? Did you what what, what happened? How long did the process take for the deal deal to get done? These are great questions. You can tell you've done this uh, song and dance a few times. And so, yeah, we contacted our attorney, obviously contacted our bank and, uh, I'd never been through due diligence. And so they come in and they said, uh, we're going to bring a team from Fort Worth, Texas. And, uh, this was in Nashville. And they said, what we'll do is, uh, in the evening of a given date, we'll, we'll close the stores and, uh, we'll lock the doors with a chain. And there's going to be two locks on the chain. We'll hold the key to one. You hold the key to the other. Neither of us can enter without the other because it's a multi-day process. And so they have teams in the stores and uh, they go in and they do an inventory. They complete inventory of all the loans, complete inventory of all the jewelry, all the other merchandise. I mean, it's very extensive, right? I mean, they've got people very experienced at doing this. They've done this over 300 times at that point. They're, they now have 1,100 stores. They're in three countries now. But uh, so I can be there, but they have people there. I have my team there. You know, we're still doing business in the course of the day. And when he got through, I was pretty proud of this. They said that uh, I told them what the inventory was. I told them what the loan balance was. And they said they had never done an inventory of the loans and the inventory that was as accurate as our store. And that's why they wanted it because we had a top shelf store. I mean, we really paid attention. We really paid attention to our numbers. And, and so anyway, uh, we go to the attorney's office and that was pretty, uh, uh, exciting and, uh, upsetting all at the same time because there's final questions and. Yeah. You know, Aaron, can I, can I, can I interrupt you for a second? I just think, you know, you've, you've casually moved over that point you just made about the due diligence and the accuracy. And, and I, I just want to pause because I think anybody listening to this um, would, would hear your, how comfortable you were saying that and just think, okay, yeah, well, that's a logical point. But I, I guess I want to underscore it a little bit because I, I've found in my experience, having gone through many, many transactions with our clients, having done my own, um, 
due diligence is something that that can kind of knock people around a little bit. Um, I, I think it's something that can be exhausting and draining and a bit grueling. And sometimes, you know, I, I had one client of me, client who said to me, I feel like I'm an onion and I've just been peeled layer by layer by layer over a period of time. And it, it was a, a good analogy because, you know, as I say to all my clients, everything comes out in due diligence, you know. They uncover everything. everything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're standing metaphorically, you're nude before the, you know. The world. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's like they, they know everything. They, there's, and they're really good at it. Right, they know how to unturn every stone, overturn every stone, uncover everything. I mean, they know the questions to ask that leads to the next question, and so they're very good at it. Well, and I think it's a credit to you that you, you know, you weren't, you hadn't prepared for due diligence, but you ran your business in a way that it was watertight and obviously very, very clean, and and you know, that that's a massive credit to you. I would say to most, certainly most of the businesses I see out there, they can be running their business very cleanly, but there's there's often things that need to be cleaned up. There's often things that just, sure. um, you know, the owner understands it, but it's not necessarily how an external finance expert would want to see things. And so this taking the time to be ready for this stuff, like I always sort of say to people, you don't you don't just wake up one day and, and decide to climb Mount Everest. You know, you need to have the right gear on. You need to have a plan. You need to have a thing. So um, it's a credit to you that you were able to go through it like that. But I would say to anybody listening to this, you really do need to prepare for due diligence because it's going to be something that it, it, it can be quite taxing. So, um, so, yeah, congrats on yours anyway. We'll even back up a step further if it's okay. And I don't want to be yeah. – uh, sharing something that maybe you wouldn't want me to share, but I don't think that's the case here. No, no, there, no please. I've been involved in numbers of businesses. Okay. So the business I was in was a very heavy cash business and I could have easily skimmed off the top. I didn't, but I could. There was a time in my life when I was a really young man that I did. And we think we're being fancy, right? We think that we're not paying our taxes and it's cash and nobody's going to know. These guys are so sharp they know to ask the questions that get to that, right? They know it's like, there's always an addition. There's always a subtraction. There's always a cause and effect and they know how to get there. And you think you're being fancy, but you're really hurting yourself because those are dollars that you can't reinvest in your business and it's going to hurt you long-term. And so we discovered that at a very, very early age, like pay your taxes, do the right thing. And, it provides an opportunity to sell to a Fortune 500 like I did. They wouldn't have bought my business otherwise, right? So I really came out really good on the other end. Yeah, it was painful. I didn't want to pay all those taxes. But the truth of the matter is, I think there's a moral issue at hand as well. There's an integrity. There's a character issue. And it's going to tell on you later. And I would just suggest that you do it properly in the beginning. And when you do that, it makes all the difference in the world. The other thing that I didn't realize going through the due diligence, and this was because I was a novice at this, right? I was green. Uh, I started telling them the great customer service that I provide. And they continued to listen. And I said, yeah, I greet every customer and I do this and I call them and I send these you know, messages and I write these notes. And I thought that was a good thing. I thought the things I was telling them was a good thing. It almost queered the deal. 
because they said we're a fortune 500, we can't give that level of service like you're talking about. And they almost reneged on the deal. Wow. And the reason is because see businesses that are worth more are dependent on the systems and the processes, not the individual. And I didn't realize that at an early age at 27 years old, because someone like them is not going to have that personable person in there to do those things. And the business is worth far more if it's built on systems and processes, right? Rather than the individual. And so the faster that you can build your business and get out of the way and not build it on your reputation and not building on you personally, uh, the more it's going to be worth. You know, great, great tip there, Aaron. It's, uh, you know, I guess what we're talking about here is owner reliance, right? And, and, and I would say, I think a lot of people start to get that when they've been working really hard for a couple of years and they start thinking about holidays. You know, that's when I think the first bell of owner reliance starts to ring. But um, what I would also say is that I see a lot of business owners make the mistake of shifting that key man dependence simply from them to the next person in line. Um, you know, hey, I've hired this new person. I'm starting to delegate. I'm getting this stuff off my plate. Yay, I feel so good. But but that key man risk has just shifted rather than dissipated right. across right. system process and more people. And now you've got, you've got the same problem. You've just transferred it to another individual. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's fascinating. So you so you hired the lawyer. You started going through due diligence. Um, what? How long did the whole process take from them kind of contacting you that third time to getting a contract signed? Yeah, we probably were ninety days from beginning to end, and uh, the last step was coming in doing the inventory of the stores and making the transfer. And so we're at the attorney's office signing the papers. And the next thing was they have to wire the money. And so you're sitting there waiting on this wire, you know? And so finally it was like, well, that's reality. You know, it's actually happened, but uh, yeah, about 90 days, 90 days total. Yeah. Cool. And, and by the way, that, that, that to me is very logical. I mean, I, I'm often saying to people who, you know, when they ask us to sell their business for them, I, I'm always saying to them, you've got to give us 12 months. And if you think about it, there's usually a couple of months of preparing them and getting all your things ready. Then you've got to go to market, find buyers, you know, and that can be a lengthy process of putting them through a qualification, et cetera, et cetera. By the time you get somebody willing to put in an offer, you know, a 90 day period of due diligence and wrapping up contracts is not, not an unreasonable time at all. So, you know, I think anyone listening, you can see how a 12 month period gets, gets constructed fairly, fairly easily, but Simon, is it fair to say, is it fair to say too, though, when you are selling to an individual versus uh, a fortune 500, they'd done this 300 times. So they had the seamless process down. I mean, it went actually very seamless because they'd done it. So, but when any individual, if I were to put this business up for sale today and I'm looking for another Simon to buy it, it's going to take a minute. It's a, it's not quite as seamless. I think it would be fair to say, because they've not maybe done this, but once or twice themselves. Look, you're spot on there, Aaron. It's, um, I, I think there's a couple of elements to it too. Um, w- one is they've got enough experience that there's just a process about how they right. acquire. So right. it's very clear their advisors and their deal teams are in place that everybody knows their job and they can just go about it. Um, I'd say the other, next thing is that um, there's no funding issues. You know, They're a large corporate. They don't need to think about going and applying for a loan to the bank. They'd already have their, the line of finance organised. Um, and so that speeds things up. But I think the final point would be, and 
This is a really important one for people who are selling businesses that might be a little bit smaller and selling to more of a private buyer is that there's there's not really a lot of emotion here you know i mean i mean sure the the manager vp whoever it might be that's managing or responsible for the transaction is trying to achieve their goals but they're not sitting there saying well this is me personally buying this business and i'm having to put my house on the line and oh geez i'm now fretting over the risk that's involved it's it's a business decision not a personal decision and right. and i think oh, that type of buyer right. Yeah, can just move through that process without some of the emotional baggage that that a private buyer might have. You know, I think you're a key person to be involved in that, though, because you're kind of the go-between. You're the mediator, uh, which really can absorb a lot of the emotion on both sides. And so, yeah, I strongly recommend using somebody like you rather than the two parties getting together on their own. And so... Yeah. Take the emotion out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, speaking of emotion, you know, maybe I could ask you a little bit more of a personal question if it's all right. Um, we, we recently sold a business um, and one of my clients said to us, you know, it was a, it was a significant seven figure sum. And uh, this, this client said to me, you know, he goes, I've, I've came out of university. We've been building this business from nothing. We, I didn't pay myself for the first couple of years. I, you know, he goes, in all honesty, he, he said, that money's hit my account. And he said, I, I, I was in shock. He said, I don't think I've had more than a couple of hundred bucks in my account since I can remember. And he said, and I woke up this morning and I looked at my account and there was seven figures in there. He said, I'm, I'm just, he said, I've got to keep checking it to see if it's real. <laughs> um, you know, you, you mentioned your story, you know, you came from, from you know, some, uh, a tougher background, you know, H how was that feeling when you, that wire transfer finally hit the account? You know, you've mirror imaged almost the story that I share uh, a little bit because now I know it, it was adequate to raise our kids, but when Robin and I sat down, uh, Robin's my wife, by the way, uh, 43 years this June. We Congratulations. Years. Thank you. And uh, we sat down and I said, we're going to just get by, like whatever. We had a condo that we bought. I paid $19,000 for the condo, $203 a month, $500 down when I bought it. And I said, uh, we're going to live like paupers and we're going to pay all the money back. So for nine years, from the time I started at 18 to I was 27, we took an $18,000 a year salary. Yeah. Now, I could have lived in most any house I wanted to after the first three years. I could have driven any kind of car. I could have taken any kind of vacation. But instead, I poured the money back into the business. And we had multiple stores because I poured the money back into the business. See, where I think people today get in trouble is they increase their lifestyle. They start making a little bit more money. And then they have golden handcuffs because they've leveraged beyond point that they should, uh, more of a mortgage than they should, and they can't reinvest. And so we were able to build something a Fortune 500 wanted because we reinvested, right? So if you're just starting out, go slow, right? And pour the money back in there. there I promise you there's going to be a huge payday one day, but you don't have to have it at the beginning. Plus, it's a lot less risky when you're living on less Things don't go well, and most businesses fail as a result of being undercapitalized in the first five years. They don't make it to begin with. So if you want to do it right, right, just uh, start out slow, reinvest the money. So, yeah, same thing. Uh, 
you know, we wake up and we look at the bank and we're like, Hey, we're, we're pretty good shape, you know? And so you asked a question earlier, what did you do? We were going to go to the floor to Florida for the summer. My kids were young and uh, we were going to go down there and we did and uh, stayed three weeks and I came back and uh, started getting in the bed in the middle of the day. Uh, I'd get up early and go fishing or hunting. I'd go play golf and I was playing with guys, 65 years old, you know, they were a lot of, I was 27 and they were beating me and that made it worse. <laughs> and so I did that for 18 months and, uh, I said, golf's not fun anymore. And, uh, fishing's not fun anymore. Hunting's not fun anymore. I don't have any purpose. I'm not changing anybody's life. I, I'm not growing a business. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm doing nothing. I gained 50 pounds in 18 months. Wow. And Robin came up to me one day and she said, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> and I said, no, I, I feel you. What do you want me to do? And she said, get a job, buy another company. I don't care what you do, but you got to get out of the house. And so, see, here's the, here's the thing, Simon. I didn't think about that. All I thought about was selling it, getting the money, and then I'll figure it out. Man, please, if you're listening to my voice, do not sell your business unless you've got a plan. Unless you really think through what you're going to do with your time, because all my buddies were out growing their businesses. They're talking about their deals. And I'm like, I got nothing to add. I got nothing to say. And they're like, man, I would love to do that. But I'm like, yeah, it's fun for a minute, right? Take a little time. That was fun. But we've all got this inner desire to be meaningful and purposeful and to grow, right? God created us to grow things. I wasn't growing anything. And I, the talents that I had, I wasn't using them. I wasn't doing anything with it. But then I got back on pace and, you know, continued to build. Can I ask, did you find, you know, you mentioned there with your friends, they're talking about their deals. They're all, you know, because they're all at a similar place in life, right? And yeah. so that commonality, that, you know, it's a bonding thing. Did you find that period in any way, a bit isolating socially oh, and, and completely whatnot? isolated. There was no question about it. I mean, we didn't have commonality in business conversations and, you know, guys were all standing around talking about business. They'd say, big A, what'd you do today? I played golf or, you know, see people listening to this right now are going such a problem. I would love to have such a problem. That's not what I'm saying. Like it's fun to be able to do that. But what is not fun is when you don't have anything really to look forward to. You can just go do it whenever you want. It does take the fun out of it. And it's like, well, and you can't lay around with so much. I mean, you just, what are you going to do? And so I was really wasting a lot of valuable time. Now, I will say that money gives you options. You can have a better schedule. You can take nice trips. Like, that's good. I don't want to be the guy that's got a little money and goes, oh, money's not important. Yes, it is. It's very important. But it's also important that we have something to do that's constructive. Yeah, it, it sounds it sounds to me like somewhere in that journey, you've inadvertently picked up a lesson that your self worth is not, actually not attached to how much money you have. No, it's not at all. And I don't think anybody's self worth should be attached to a bank account. Uh, I think we've got to find our identity and what that's tied to, and it's certainly not that. Because if that's the case. When you lose that, does that mean you're nobody? Exactly. Like if you were to lose that thing, that title, or you were to lose, you know, that position, or you were to lose that business or that home or that car, 
Like, man, we can never tie our identity to things that decay and rust, right? It's just not going to serve you well. Do you know, Aaron, it's such a, a, a an important lesson, I think, and it's it's something I'd say to anybody listening, whether you're a business owner or you work in the corporate world, I've seen it happen so many times where people have exited and they're no longer, you know, the man or, you know, the person, you know, if you're not a man, but it's just that they're so attached to the title and the the position of being, you know, I'm an important person in this world. I'm a big fish in the small pond and people run around with me around me and I'm important and and I think when that goes away and I say even in p- people in the corporate world right they suddenly leave a job and they don't have those you know I don't necessarily like the word minions but I don't, they don't have the people that sort of fuss over them and and you know listen to every word that they say and and care about what they say and so that sense of self-worth is attached to a position rather than a purpose um, and I think it's it's a, it's heartbreaking to see. It's it's a hollow feeling to tie your identity to a title or to a position or to your net worth. It's a very hollow feeling. Uh, but when it's meaningful and it's purposeful, and you know, I wrote a book called View from the Top: How to Live a Life of Success and Significance, which kind of takes me to this point, Simon. If it's okay with you, I'd like to go here for a moment. Is that when I was 40, 22 years ago, August 1st, 2001, I was on my way to the office and uh, I want to paint the picture for you for a moment. We lived in a beautiful home. We had, had custom built. We had a place on the beach with some buddies. You know, we had invested in a really nice place in Florida and uh, I worked three days a week. Uh, my partner worked the other three days, two beautiful daughters that were just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, I was headed to the office 7:30 in the morning and uh, there was a guy crossing the street to catch a bus and uh, he didn't look my way and I ran over him and it killed him. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. So that day I had to like, what just happened? Like killing a pedestrian obviously was not on the agenda, right? For the day. And so a lot of stress around that. Uh, we had had a lot of success, obviously. And so a couple of weeks uh, into that, I went to my partner and I said, uh, I've been chasing money since I was 13 and uh, I'm retiring. Uh, I'm done. And uh, we worked out a deal, another sale, financed the company for him, sold it to him over a 10 year period and uh, took five years off. I didn't do anything for five years. And uh, here's what I discovered out of that. If I had been killed that day, what would my legacy have been? And it was a really daunting task to go through that uh, emotional exercise to think, what would people say? And here's what they would have said, Simon. Poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee, makes enough money to retire at age 27, and nobody cares. And I was like, Golly, that, that is not at all what I want my legacy to be. I want Simon's life to be better as a result of having known me. I want to bring the, the light to the room. I want to bring the energy. I want to bring that empathy and compassion. I want to help Simon accomplish his goals with exit advisory, right? I want to be that guy that walks alongside him and 
tells him the things that he needs to hear, even if it's not popular. And I said, God, if you'll give me another chance, I'll turn the ship around. I'll do it a different way. And so I started focusing outward rather than inward. I started being the giver and not the taker because I wasn't concerned about anybody else up until that point. My net worth, nobody cared about it but my family. Nobody was interested. I had another house. I had a bigger car. Nobody cared. The only thing people cared about was how I made them feel. That's the only thing people were interested in. It is so much more rewarding now that we have Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind, 150 members. We're in six different countries around the world, and we're changing people's lives. That's what wakes me up. That's what gets me up. No amount of money can give you that. And so I would just suggest the people listening today, if you're doing something that is a dead end, that you hate, you do not want to go there, listen, this is not a trial run. We're living right now. This is our life. This is it. Every single day, this is our life. And it's too short to live it in a manner that is not exciting, that's not purposeful, that's not meaningful. A year ago, my sister called and said, hey, I need to chat with you. And so I went to her house, 64 years old, worked her whole life done really well. She was set up for retirement. The doctor said, you have uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. She lived eight months and we buried her in January. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. We never know when we're going to get that call. And so, man, as you're building these businesses, as you think about what you're accomplishing, don't be working for the day you can quit. I'm telling you, that is a nice feeling to have the money, but be working to change people's lives, to help people accomplish the things that they want to do. The money will come, right? If you're working just for the money or you're working just to stop, man, you need to reorient your focus so that you're moving the needle in the lives of other people. Yeah. Geez, Aaron, you know, I, I couldn't say it better myself. I, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful message. I think it's a message that a lot of us intrinsically know. And I also think it's, it's too easy sometimes we get caught up in what's going on in our world that the, the view and the perspective starts to shift from being outward to more inward. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just putting my hand up here and saying, you know, that's, it happens to me. It's, you know, and it's, it's, it's even moments like this where I'm constantly reminded, you know, it's, hey, you, you know, those niggly feelings you're having, often it's just because you're looking in the wrong direction. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate you sharing that. I'm just going back a little bit because I know a lot of business owners listen to your show. And I used to think when I was young, I'll start this store and I did really well. But if I can do another store, like I'll be doing twice as good and just another store. And so I kept thinking that it was elusive. Like if I just get to this spot, then I'll be happy. And I just want to encourage your audience. Money doesn't make you happy you know, money, it's a choice. It's not a trait. And so you've got to choose to be happy, right? Be content, but never complacent. Don't get those confused, right? Hammer, go for it, pedal down, you know, let's go, but be content in your current circumstances in your situation and enjoy your life. And so I just want to encourage the listeners today to reorient that focus when they're building their business and make sure that your sights are set on the proper thing. That's beautiful. Uh, it's it's just great advice, Aaron. To, you know, one of the things we we touched on, you know, before we jumped on, onto the 
podcast was you know three tools that uh, that can can help business owners start to visualize their life after business you know it, it sounds like we're maybe a good time to to, to go through that you, can you can you take us through it yeah just for a second there's a couple of things that I wrote one is a personal assessment and one is really stepping back looking at your life in its entirety and saying you know how do I fare relationally what about personally what about in my marriage? What about physically? What about financially? Like just do a personal assessment. And I put together a document. I'm happy to give it to your audience. There, there's another assessment that I put together and it's called, what do I want? And in this assessment, you really got to think through, man, specifically, like what it is I want? When you talk to people, it's always bigger, better, shinier, faster, more, just right. And it, that's not necessarily what you're really want. And you've really got to think proactively. Robin and I sit down and we talk about how much do we want to make? How much do we want to give away? Where do we want to live? What kind of trips do we want? How much money do we want to leave the kids and the grandkids? And like being very intentional about living our life, right? Not reactive, but proactive. And then another document that's really helped a lot of people that are married today, I wrote a spouse survey. And in this survey, it's questions that you really want answered, but you're scared to ask. And it just helps our communication, right? It just helps us to understand exactly what it is in our life. I just think we're too busy going out trying to do bigger, better, faster, and more. I had a guy join our mastermind recently. He's a wealth advisor, and he's got $250 million uh, under management right now. And when he joined, he said, I want to get to half a billion uh, under management. And I said, uh, okay, why? He said, what do you mean why? I said, why, why do you want to get it to a half a billion? And he paused for a minute. And he goes, well, it sounds like an ambitious goal. He said, uh, but, but I believe I can get it there in three years. I said, okay, but you still haven't answered my question. Why? And he said, well, I'm a very ambitious person. I said, do you realize the relationship capital that it's going to cost to get you there? He said, what do you mean? I said, you think it's just going to get there by itself? No. I said, it's going to take a lot of time, isn't it? Yeah. How old are your kids? 12, 14, and 16. And I said, uh, how much of their life are you going to miss getting it to a half a billion? He said, man, I hadn't thought about that. I said, what is your life going to look like? as a result of getting it there financially. He goes, oh, I got all the money I need right now. I said, how much of that are you going to give away? He said, I hadn't thought about it. See, and people go through this exercise all the time. Like I could live in a much bigger house, but I, I don't want a bigger house. I want this house. I like this house. I could buy a fancier truck and a nicer boat and things like that. But I got a nice boat. I like this boat. It's not for demonstration. It's not for show. You've got to evaluate are you keeping up with the Joneses? Is that what you're trying to do? You're trying to impress somebody. And I'll tell you, Simon, we don't have time to talk about this today. A lot of men out there have daddy wounds and they're trying to prove to their father that they could do something. Many of them had lost their father. I've uh, had my father for a good while, but there was a lot of times I wanted my dad to say, I'm proud of you. And I don't know that my dad ever said those words. He bragged on me to everybody else but me, but I worked really, really hard to get him to say, I'm proud of you. You see, there's a lot of guys out there today that have these daddy ones. They want to prove something to somebody. It's not a way to live our lives. 
And when we're building these businesses, these are the type of questions that we need to be asking ourselves. Yeah, brilliant. Aaron, I I could talk to you about this sort of stuff all day. Um, <laughs> I, um, I am a little bit cognizant of your time. You've been very, very generous with us. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on these days and, and what you're doing? Yeah, that's a pretty cool question. Thank you. So I was going to retire 12 years ago, and Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller suggested that I coach. And so I started coaching a couple of guys. I said, okay, I'll coach two guys. That's all I'm going to do and help them grow their business. Started doing a few podcast interviews, and uh, John Lee Dumas had me on Entrepreneur on Fire, and 15 people called me the next day and wanted me to coach them individually. And I went to Robin, and I said, Robin, I got these 15 people that want me to coach them individually, but I can't coach them individually. I think I'm going to start one group, and we'll have a mastermind. And so I did, and put the guys in the group. Pat Flynn had me on Smart Passive Income, and uh, we filled up two groups in a 30-minute interview. And I went to Robin and I said, Robin, I don't have anywhere to put all these people. She goes, oh, here we go again. <laughs> and I said, uh, what do you want me to do? And so I continue to do interviews and I turn around and look. And now we've got 15 mastermind groups and people in six different countries. And so I'm Christian by faith. You know how Christians are. We pray about everything. So I prayed and the Lord said, hey, you're transforming a lot of people's lives. And a lot of people are very successful. That's in your organization but there's some relationship work to be done in some of their lives. Some of them need to scale their business. And so uh, the thing we're working on now is uh, adding more groups and we continue to add more groups. People continue to come and we've started kind of a movement. We've got a community now of all these successful entrepreneurs from all over the world. Some of them do better than others. Some people are just trying to scale their business and we've got a very regimented program, very well thought out. The framework is laid out to people are being successful personally, professionally, and spiritually. So every area of their life, we're shoring it up and people keep coming and we keep opening groups. And so, yeah, if that sounds interesting to any of your audience, you can uh, look us up on viewfromthetop.com and awesome. fill out an application, get an opportunity to talk to me for 40, 45 minutes. And let's just see if we can help you and our desires to help people. So that's what we're doing. That's cool. That's cool. Well, you've answered my question about whether it's okay for people to reach out to you. So that's brilliant. And I'm going to put all of your contact details, the links, your LinkedIn profile, all that sort of stuff in the show notes for anybody who is listening. Um, I will say, I, I, I do I do like the comment you made about, you know, there's business, there's personal spiritual elements. Like, I keep seeing life as a three-legged stool, right? You know, there's your health and your family and business and all the sort of stuff that any one of these key elements of your life is is out of line or out of sync. You know, it's like it's like taking the leg off a three-legged stool. You know, any of those key pillars comes away, you, that's when your life starts to fall over. So, you know, I think I think this idea of you know, I don't think necessarily, I don't think this idea of balance is necessarily a great analogy because balance is a bit of a misnomer. It's to me, it's about integrating all these different parts of your life in a way that it's it has it has some sort of um, it's more synchronized. Well, we need to prioritize our priorities and spend an inordinate amount of time on the things that matter the most. And once you identify those priorities, see, here's the thing, Simon, we're designed to be in community. And when you're alone, you're trying to make all these decisions alone. Well, isolation is the enemy of excellence. And if you really want to excel in life, you've got to have trusted advisors around you that can 
point out your superpowers and your kryptonite and your blind spots and throw the flag on you occasionally and encourage you. And you're able to share wins and you're able to get resources and feedback and encouragement and accountability. And I've been involved weekly for over two decades every week in a mastermind group. And it's one of the key reasons that I've had a measure of success in my life is because there's multiple lenses looking at everything that I do. And so these guys that go out and try to wing it, do it on their own. it's like, Hey, you have no idea what you don't know. And we don't know what we don't know. And when you have trusted advisors that know you intimately, it's just like pouring gasoline on a fire. It just really takes you to the next level. And so that's the reason these groups are so successful. Yeah, that's awesome. Aaron, and a great place to finish. Um, you know, for those of you listening and, and you're interested, we're, we're going to put some links there in the show notes. Um, Aaron, I just wanted to thank you for your time, for your generosity, you know, sharing your story and so many sort of personal lessons, but but the insights have been amazing. And, you know, I personally love chatting to you. So I, I know anybody else listening to this podcast will get a lot of value from it too. So thank you for coming on the show. Simon, it's been fun, buddy. Go out there today and build your own view from the top. So thank you for having me. My pleasure indeed. Once again, thank you all for joining the show. Um, the, the links will be in the show notes there. I hope you've gotten as much uh, insights and joy out of this episode as I have. And uh, please join us for the next episode of the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Wherever you are on your business journey, it's worth understanding what is driving value into your business and what could be holding you back. For more information, speak to the team at Exit Advisory Group by going to exitadvisory.com.au or send an email to ask at exitadvisory.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.